Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this very special bonus episode of We Podcast and We Know Things, where we recap all of the nerdy news. My name is Greg Hall, and alongside of me, as almost always, the best damn voice in the business, Sam Matoro. Ah, uh, maybe not today. Yes, yeah, Sam, I think tonight you have some competition for the best damn voice in the business, because I think that moniker goes to our guest who's with us tonight, who is literally one of the best damn voices in the business, the unbelievably talented Jason Page. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Gotta catch him up, we know things. <laughs> What's up, gentlemen? <laughs> I love it. That was that was arguably one of the most exciting intros we've ever had. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, just if, so You're if, that, if that uh, caught anyone by surprise, uh, arguably Jason, your biggest claim to fame is being the singer on the original Pokemon theme song for the anime. Yes, that song. Uh, now, Jason, we know that that's not your only accolade, and we're going to go through that in this interview. We could be more hyped for this. Are you ready? I'm ready. Cool. Well, let's start off easy with your social media and your YouTube. How can our listeners follow you and also score some pretty sweet merch off your website? Uh, JasonPage.com, uh, Jason Page YouTube channel, Jason Page uh, uh, Facebook, Jason Page Show Facebook. And uh, just recently, I'm starting to get on the TikTok which I'm not enjoying that very much, but uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm there showing your presence. Also, I'm already leveraging myself at mind.com, M-I-N-D-S.com, and uh, bit shoot and steam it and uh, DTube, all of the, you know, the first blockchain-based platforms yeah. that will uh, be providing us the internet of the future. Once this internet gets shut down, <laughs> you're taking over. We we tried the TikTok yeah. game. That's that's not our style. Yeah. We can't do the TikTok game. Yes, yeah, you know the people are starting to use it for for different things other than just time wasting. <laughs> <laughs> now you have a. Ton- but it's hard. It's hard. You got to you got to craft your messages a little more consciously, and uh, you know it's kind of like the meme the meme culture. We have to, if you have something to say, you've got to say it really quickly. You've got to be really efficient and effective about it. And uh, it's forcing the people that want to say things on that platform to do it that way. Yeah, because TikTok's only like 10, 15 seconds, right? It's real short. Yeah, you can do longer, but, you know, it's... It's, it's about wasting 15 seconds of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, you have a ton of accolades, uh, which, like we said, we'll get into later. But let's begin with the Pokemon aspect of your career, uh, because that is an almost weekly topic on our show. I'm a Pokemon obsessive, as Sam can uh, very, very much attest to. Super nerd. Um, so uh, I, I promise I won't, like, be that guy, though. Uh, this, <laughs> first, first question. The anime debuted in the United States in September of 1998. September 8th, to be, uh, to be on a matter of fact. How did you get chosen? What's the actual birthday? September What's the 8th. the actual birthday? Yeah, September 8th, September 1998. 8th. Yeah. So, so how did you get chosen to record it, and when was it originally recorded? Uh, well, if that's the birthday, then it was probably around June or July that we were working on the demo. Uh which was a brief from Four Kids to Paradise Music, uh, which was a jingle house that I had worked for for quite a bit at that time. And uh, they called me in to do the demo because they knew I had that young rock sound that was included in the brief. 
And uh, that that probably went on for a couple of weeks, back and forth with the client, making sure it was the right tagline, making sure it was the right sound, make sure the song was right. And uh, then finally had his birthday on September 8th, 1998. And I will say, uh, in a lot of interviews that you've done that we've watched and listened to and read the transcripts for to prepare for this interview, you talk a lot about jingle houses. Could you kind of describe what that is for our listeners that maybe aren't aware? Uh, well, a jingle house is a place that creates music for just about anything and everything that music is created for. Um, however, they, they, they they're, have been focusing on television commercials. Um, as that was primarily my that's primarily my my income and my craft and trade comes in the commercial world, uh, doing commercials for television, um, producing them, writing them, and performing them as well. Um, so a jingle house will be a collection of five to ten writers, maybe, who are all working on every spot that comes in from the advertising agency. Or the client, uh, the client would be Coca-Cola, for instance. Coca-Cola would hire an ad agency, and the ad agency would go and hire numbers of jingle houses to write music for those commercials. And then, you know, the jingle houses would hire numbers of writers. So it's a big, long audition process, all the way back up to the client. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, it was Pokemon. Mm-hmm. But but I work for many jingle houses as a singer. Uh, also work for jingle houses as a writer producer, and. Uh, so those jingle houses are all, you know, falling in line to the client's needs. Um, and this was one that I had done numbers of commercials for. And so they knew my voice. They knew that I'd be right for the spot. And they called me in. And then I think um, to, to Be a Master dropped in, I think, 1999, because I think they knew what they had at that time. So you were called back in at that time to kind of re-record like Viridian City and stuff like that? Correct. To record the second verse and the last chorus and making it a contented full single. Yeah. And uh, all of the other music that appeared on that record, Viridian City and all the other songs that they were making more a part of the Pokemon ecosystem yeah. were released on that first two via master record. So like I Viridian think about City, that's me. I think about Viridian City as a kid, right? And it always to me when I was a kid sounded like the same person did the the intro. I was like, okay, I, I, I was a child, I had no idea. But Viridian City is a banger. That tune is incredible. I think for me as a Pokemon fan and just like a fan of that show growing up like crazy, I mean, it was on syndication every morning before school for millions of kids. I think outside of the main theme and the poker rap, uh, the poke rap, I think that Viridian City is the song that I think not only I, but a ton of Pokemon fans associate with. Do you get that a lot in conversation? Uh, yeah, it is. People definitely still remember that song and, and relate to it. I should do some sort of uh, video for it with me, oh. <laughs> with me singing so that people know that's me because it's another one of those things that, oh my God, you did that song too? I didn't know that. The hair is standing up on my arm thinking about a 2020 version of Viridian City. That is awesome. We're on the road. To, that's not Jason singing. That's my horrible singing. <laughs> but oh my God, I love that song. Um, Jonathan Young, one of the people that I've done a Pokemon theme collaboration with, did record Viridian City for his uh, his channel, and he did a great version oh, of it. You so. guys did the metal version. Yeah, that was yeah. awesome. I, I'm I'm not on his Viridian City. I'm just on his Pokemon theme song. Yeah, that's the one. Um, I, I wish you would call me for the Viridian City. If he does it again, I'd certainly collab with him. Yeah, but, be awesome. uh, otherwise, I'd, I'd have to do my own remake version, or just uh, you know, 
uh, uh, in studio lip sync version yeah. to, the, to the actual song. The uh, so the anime that hit before the games that hit before that Pokemon basically became a phenomenon in the United States. And I was uh, watching an interview you did with CNN Business, and you were quoted as saying, "My voice is the underscore to the imaginations of billions of childhood experiences. It's absolutely invaluable." So when you know people like Sam and myself growing up on that show, and like you said, billions of childhood experiences, when did you realize that Pokemon was going to be as big as it is? Um, I think after the the single was made and it went up the charts and became not just a TV show, but a, but a, but this giant ecosystem of games and um, events and live performances and movies and. TV shows and cards and toys and everything else that that happened. It just was, you know, it following the path of other great uh, franchises like Star Wars. Except this thing just has way more things happening than Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the second, second or third year, 2000, 2001, I was like, "This is it's here to stay," and uh, nobody knows it's me. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. That was twenty years ago. Unreal. Given that neither the anime or games debuted in the U.S. when they stepped into the studio, did you know anything about Pokemon at all, or was that the first time you stepped in the booth? That's when you found out. Uh, first time I went in was was all I knew, and uh, in the few months in after it was put on TV, we did hear more about it in the news, and you could see it. You know, the products were everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before beforehand, no, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah, I mean, I think we asked that question because you've done work with, you know, Mountain Dew, Subway, Pepsi. Those are brands that are so well known here in the United States that when you hear the jingle, you can visualize the product. Or when you see the product, you can visualize the jingle. And Pokemon was just such a relative unknown when you recorded that tune. It was just interesting to see, hey, maybe he saw a crazy episode of the anime where, you know, had to get censored for the United States or some craziness. Well, in the initial sessions... They did have an example of the cartoon that they were able to play for us. Uh, it was in Japanese, so we couldn't tell what was going on, but we could tell the vibe, and it was very much like uh, Speed Racer, which was yeah. my jam when I was a kid. Can you sing that one? Go Speed Racer, go! Yeah. Go Speed Racer, go! <laughs> awesome. That's so awesome. You even now travel with the video games live to play the song on stage. Does that fan reaction, like the, that fully orchestrated Pokemon theme, does it ever get old? Uh, well, I mean, it's only starting. I'm only starting. Uh, as as 2016 was the first time that I performed the song mm. ever. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's about three years old now. <laughs> it's still a baby. So it, 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 it you know it's three years old of me singing the song. Um, and of course I've got other music that I've created, the Pokemon Go theme song, the Detective Pikachu, uh, unofficial theme. And, uh, those kind of add to the theme song. So I'm not just singing one song. I can sing all kinds of things. I've actually done a lot of loop jams and improvisations based on Pokemon themes. And I, uh, you know, performing doesn't get old because performing is always, just brand new even if it's something that's been around forever it's brand new again as it's done in that moment and you're attached to that exact moment and and all of the feelings that have been programmed into your emotions from the history of whatever that song is in your mind i know i felt that way when i went to the paul mccartney concert and he 
started singing these songs that were embedded in my cellular makeup, and it just brought me to tears uh, time and time again. He would just launch me to another song, and I just feel this resonating. My cells were going, oh, my God, I know that. I know that song. I know that voice. Sam, Sam, this one's from me to you, buddy. I'm not the only one who gets teary-eyed and emotional at concerts. We went to a show. We went to a show seven years ago. I'll never forget it. It was a band that was reuniting for the first time in almost a decade. And I loved this band. So Sam liked them. I wouldn't say like was super into them. So we go together. Sam and I go to hundreds of shows together. And uh, so they're playing. And all of a sudden, all these feels from when I was a kid and sitting in mosh pits and all this stuff come back. And they're playing these songs. And I'm fine, but then when we're leaving and walking back to the car, I get a little emotional. I'm walking down South Street in, South, in Philadelphia, getting a little emotional. Sam's like, you're right there, buddy? I'm like, it's, it's just all hitting me. I don't understand it. I'm not the only one. You no, know, I mean, you're, that's, that was like a, an emo band, and then you have, you know, Sir Paul McCartney. I mean... The music is music, though. I hear you, but yeah. they're on different levels to me. I'm sorry. I, I, music is well, music. You know, it's, it's about what you've been programmed yeah, how you've been programmed. It's about all of the experiences that you've had that have uh, connected to emotions that you've had. So their music is anchoring those emotions when you experience them. I mean, it could go in any direction. You could have gotten beat up when you heard Pokemon, and now when you hear Pokemon, <laughs> it just triggers negative feelings. <laughs> very true. <laughs> I, chances are, it's all the good things that you did in your Pokemon explorations that are triggered when you hear the song. So... You know, it's such a, a, a exaggerated opportunities for people to be moved by the song yeah. or by the thought of the song, because the thought of Pikachu happens at least 10 times a day for anybody who doesn't care at all about Pokemon, because the thing is everywhere. Yeah. And sometimes you're 32 so, years old and you're still playing the games. That's fine. That's me. You know, it's all good. That's right. Uh, that's th- right. This one, this next one. Um, now, you've also done a bunch of parody songs incorporating the theme on your YouTube channel. I'd like to talk about a couple of those. Uh, the first one I want to bring up is you did a theme. You did a, a video of the Pokemon theme song, but in a bunch of different musical styles. And you did that with Russ Irwin, formerly of Aerosmith. First and foremost, what's what's that connection with Russ and how did you get that idea? Um, well, Russ and I were uh, partners in my jingle pursuits. Mm-hmm. Um, we started a, a jingle house together and we're producing jingles at the time. Um, we produced, uh, Lego Mania, Lego Mania. And some other awesome things. That was <laughs> literally time. my next question um, was Lego Mania. So you got that. That's awesome. We, we like to do different, uh, music in different styles. So it's one thing I've done before is just, you know, kind of pick a song and then do it in a different style. than it originally was done. And so it's something to be fun to do with the Pokemon. Especially since Russ can play incredibly in just about every style. Yeah, sure can. That was a really captivating video. In three and a half minutes, you knock out four or five styles, whatever it was. And it's just so, it was super captivating. I was like, this is insane to think about this song in so many different ways. Uh, Was there a lot of practice that went into that? Or did you just kind of go off the seat of your pants? No, that was basically just call it out on the spot. That's awesome. Go here, 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 here. However, if you notice online, there's, I have one video called Poke Styles uh, that somebody put together of all of the different covers of the song. And it just goes from language to different styles to different orientations to 
marching bands, the <laughs> guitar here, it just goes, it's, the song has been covered in so many different ways. Uh, it's incredible. Now, what kind of weird or crazy Pokemon memorabilia have you come across since, since the anime came out? Uh, I'm liking High Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm liking High Dragon recently. And I like, uh, I've been liking Mr. Mime since he stole the, stole the show yeah. in the movie. Yeah, I, there's a lot of, like, he's getting a Funko Pop now, and he's getting another, like, Mr. Mime from the Detective Pikachu movie is like a cult classic Pokemon yeah. now, so I get that. Have um, Is there anything, like, weird or wacky from the 90s that you're still hanging on to? I've got these, <laughs> these horrible room feeder things, little Pikachu or Bulbasaur or a Charmander, uh, that just, well, you walk by and he goes, gotta catch him, oh, Pokemon, and you're like, oh. Uh, every time you walk by, it either does it either does the voice of the character or does the song. Um, and uh, you know, some of that paraphernalia is uh, is interesting to hold on to. Since it's, if it if it includes my voice, I try to buy it. Also, there was a watch, a big plastic yellow watch that had the same situation. It just sang the song really quickly. Yeah. I'm sure the um, I'm sure the folks at Blockbuster were very happy to get those things out of their store. Exactly, <laughs> they were just just making all this noise at the front of the store, and now they're making all this noise in your house. And now they're making the noise in my house. <laughs> That's right. So you mentioned it earlier. You kind of did companion songs for Pokemon Go, Detective Pikachu. When Pokemon Go dropped in 2016, the original Pokemon theme song Spotify hits went up 362 percent. Uh, and so I guess that's kind of a, you know, a trigger in your mind. You got to jump on the hype train. Uh, what kind of, you know, tell us about that Pokemon Go song and also the Detective Pikachu song. Uh, well, the Pokemon Go song was just an obvious thing to do for the ecosystem. I mean, there is no official Pokemon Go song. And here there's one billion people out there playing the game. And all you've got is that. <laughs> it's the only thing officially that's related to the thing. Yeah. Besides that, hor- and that horrible kid did that horrible. Hi, the Pokemon Go song's awful. <laughs> um, but so I thought there has to be a song. There has to be a song for this. So I wrote and produced that song, um, and put it out on my own, and you know started being introduced to what was out there in the Comic-Con world, which I didn't really know much about until that time. Uh, that was when I was invited to perform at a couple of Comic-Cons, and I saw that there were 50,000 people gathering every weekend somewhere to celebrate their love of all things Comic-Con, and half of the stuff at every Comic-Con is Pokemon. So <laughs> there was this giant ecosystem that I could create value for, and the first thing was the Pokemon Go theme song. Now, are you? Um, did, did you play Pokemon Go at all? Um, I started playing Pokemon Go once uh, the media contacted me and wanted to know what you know who the guy was. Yeah. yeah. What about the um, Detective Pikachu song? Uh, Detective Pikachu song is the same situation. Yeah. I saw that there was a opportunity to create value for the ecosystem and. Uh, there was no song available. They were not writing a theme song. Um, actually, there's a, there's a lot of things that can be done with the movie, obviously. 
the movie is a separate company. It's a testament to the fact that other people are creating all of the value in the Pokemon ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So they can create costumes, they can create games, they can create movies, they can create music, they can create events, they're creating all kinds of things. And uh, the uh, legendary pictures said, hey, let's create Detective Pikachu. I mean, you know, it was not done by the Pokemon company. It was right. done by yeah. other companies with incredible expertise and keeping the ecosystem flooded with great new content. Which is what you guys are doing. Yeah. You know, you're part of that as well. Yeah. I mean, we, we try to get as, you know, I'm a Pokemon, like I said, I'm a Pokemon nerd. Sam knows I gush about it every single week. Fanatic. I had Sam buy a Nintendo 3DS just to get Pokemon Sun and Moon, which came out a couple of years ago. He regrets it ever since. <laughs> uh, we did let's wow. yeah, we've done let's plays on this show where Sam would play a little bit every week and we talk about it on the show. We have a lot of fun with it. I uh, I'm currently a little over halfway uh, in my collection of owning every Pokemon game. I own about 54% of every Pokemon game ever made. Um my goal is I just had a daughter uh, a little over a year ago. My goal is to have them all by the time she's ready to play video games and introduce them all to her. And my hope is to pass my Pokemon collection down to my daughter one day. Wow, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And starting with the, with the card game, yes? Yeah, of course, we actually have a whole bunch of Pokemon cards behind me as we speak. You brought it out for nostalgia. I brought it out because I play. <laughs> you know me, I'm a loser. <laughs> Um, let's, let's actually take a step back from Pokemon now. I mean, we had a great, you know, 20 minute conversation around it. And it, believe me, I tell you, Jason, that means the world to us, um, that you were so open about that and had that conversation with us. But you've also previously said on interviews, everybody is a singer and told until they're told by somebody to stop, but you were encouraged to keep singing. Tell us a little bit more about how singing became your passion, uh, even at a young age. Uh, at, at the young age, I think it's just, we are just children. We are just, we are just who we are and we're born with, with, with superpower. Yeah. 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 Every and kid's the superpower is our imaginations mm-hmm. and our imaginations, uh, work through our, we work through our language and our language comes from singing. So. We start singing when we are crying, which is just, you know, a baby goes, but the first thing they're doing is a, and that's just hitting a note. So we're actually coming into this world singing. It's a really good way to think about that. And we, you know, we we break this down into patterns of communication and words and languages, and obviously we we evolve. But part of our inherent inherent innate nature is to sing, is to is to express ourselves through uh, through music. And, and you know, as you grow up, I I saw other interviews where you're saying, yeah, I was. I think it was like around Columbia where there were people out on the street singing, and some other people doing street magic. And you actually even picked up some stuff about street magic along the way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was in New York City. I just moved into New York City. I went to the same. I want to live forever. I want to to fly. Hey! That same song that is about the school that's nothing like it is in the actual movie. So, same. or the yeah. TV show. Yeah. 
but I, that school was at 137th Street and Comet Avenue. I moved into New York City in order to go to that school from Queens into Manhattan. And the neighborhood I moved into, 80, uh, I, I lived on 77th Street and Columbus Avenue, but between that mile and a half of, of blocks on Columbus Avenue from probably from 86 down to 66 was ripe with street performers and incredible uh, street art and balloon sculptors and musicians. And it was, it was basically a street fair in New York City that attracted a whole bunch of creative people, and we all learned from each other, basically. Um, I played guitar, and I learned how to do magic while teaching the magic guys guitar and started bands with people that I met on the streets there and just basically had a creative street community to learn from. Um, and of course that was, that was more valuable than, than anything else is to be actually doing things in the world, actually performing, actually interacting with people and getting paid, uh, standing on a box performing, which is, uh, which is <laughs> still what I'm, what I do now. <laughs> <laughs> just a bigger box. It's a bigger <laughs> box. Well, actually, I don't need the box now because I was actually standing in the box then because I was, I was 13, 14 years old, and I guess right. I was maybe uh, six, seven inches shorter, uh, not yeah. five feet tall. Now, we need to know more about the What's Up show. Oh, my God. The What's Up show is taking advantage of our sort of what, what we're all doing with the Internet, being able to put our own things out there. The What's Up show is my taking advantage of the public arteries that existed at the time, which was public access television. You could run around recording yourself, but but you couldn't be a self-producing, self-distributing unless you took advantage of these channels. And this was the one channel that I, that you, that anybody who lives in New York City can take advantage of. And there's no censorship. I mean, there is censorship, but there's not supposed to, they can't censor everything that comes through because they're understaffed. They're not watching everything. People are dropping off the tapes right before they are ready to be broadcast. So they're not actually able to even go through all of the, the censorship aspect to remove uncopywritten uh, uh, copywritten material or police it. It was the first, uh, you know, free press, basically. Mm -hmm. We could freely publish between 95 and 2000. So what I published was my band's pursuit of its success. Uh, it was sort of the real world situation that, that, that uh, MTV's real-world version of my uh, my own version of that for the purposes of promoting my band's performances in New York City. And it became such a silly experience promoting the band that the silly part took over and the band part kind of faded away yeah. and became basically a sketch comedy show that was uh, a cross between Saturday Night Live, New Kids on the... Uh, Kids in the Hall? New Kids in the Hall and, uh, you know... In Living Color. Yeah. In, in, in Living Color or maybe even more like a Monty Python type yeah. thing because we were a troop of, of, of great friends. And Russ Irwin, one of the people that we mentioned earlier, was in that as well. Oh, that's wild. Uh, I have all of the episodes and I'm trying to figure out a way to release them again uh, uh, in a format that tells the story and shows you the shows. So there might be something coming up in the future with that. Oh, that's wild. This is the future, revealing best. Also, it was the exact time that the Pokemon theme song was going on. Mm -hmm. uh, I was doing the What's Up show. The people who were doing the recordings, the, the jingle houses I worked for, all knew about the What's Up show. 
and my sort of notoriety as this avant-garde uh, video exhibitionist, basically, because I was putting stuff online just like you guys are. Um, but, you know, no one else was doing it at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it got me it got me sort of underground popularity in the New York circles. That sounds but of wild. Course, only, yeah. only, only in Manhattan, which is only where it matters anyway, but <laughs> because it was just Manhattan public access. But yeah. Manhattan public access goes out to 12 million potential viewers. Wow. That's wild. So, yeah. It's if, just like the internet of today. So yeah. I was basically doing what, what everybody is doing on the internet now, but I was doing it in 1995. With no internet. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Well, there was some right. sort of internet, but yeah. Just, just rest assured that if you do somehow release those episodes, we will be the first in line for however they are released to not only uh, watch them and enjoy them, but talk about them on this very podcast. Uh, so, oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's. A, they're, 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 they're going to drop at some point. It's going to be interesting. That's sort of what I do my whole life. I've been just uh, germinating these seeds of the past that you didn't know were me, and now I just keep opening the doorway to reveal that yeah. as I did earlier with Legomania yeah. as I did with Michael Jackson. And we were going to talk uh, about, definitely going to talk about Michael Jackson here in a minute. Uh, now I don't know how this is possible, but not every single listener we have has watched the Pokemon theme song. We previously mentioned your work with other companies doing other jingles outside of that theme song. What are some of the other famous jingles that you're the voice behind? When you get nausea, heartburn, indigestion, upset stomach, diarrhea, K-Pepto-Max. It's always Coca-Cola, yeah. The groove is quick, the groove Bounty. There's one more, there's one more that I'm thinking of, and it had to do with the Super Bowl. And, uh, oh, I see a little silhouette of a can. Yes, no, um, I was begging for that to, when Sam and I were talking. I was like, I would give anything for him to do the Mountain Dew jingle on the air. That was so rad. I think that more recently, catch the feeling, catch the feeling. Oh, Coca Cola. Damn, you get into it. I love it. Um, so it's it, it, interesting. I can't actually. I don't even remember them all. Like yeah. I tried. That's why I tried. I made it recently. I made a gif. I made a photo of all of the brand names behind me on a picture, <laughs> so that I could kind of try to remember which ones I were. I, I yeah. vocal, vocally represented. I imagine you've done hundreds, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, in a in a given year, I could it, do seventy five to a hundred sessions wow. minimum. Wow. So, now you, and these are just for random things, all kinds of different situations. They're not all jingles, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, they're backgrounds for different other artists. They're they're pitches for different theme songs. They're you know, a blockchain company has a game they need a theme song for. For somebody else has another different you know uh, TV show that they need something for, a movie or a friend or anything in the vocal universe. You've also done a ton of great work with other talented musicians, such as Foreigner, one of my favorite bands ever, Frankie Valli, Meatloaf, Enrique Iglesias. A few more we'll touch in a moment. But how do you end up in situations like that? Um, from being 
the very best like no one ever was. <laughs> <laughs> you son of so, a bitch. From, from, that was perfect. From basically giving like, you know, stepping up to, to take that ball into the end zone, not to get a first down. Yeah. So whatever we're doing, I'm going all the way into the end zone, gentlemen. You Sorry. play to Maybe win the, the game. I'm, I'm playing to I'm playing to win the game, even if the game is is a very small game, doesn't mean anything. So people remember me for the next game that they have going on. Yeah, and uh, and that just you know you multiply that by ten, twenty years of doing the best I can to get the ball into the end zone. Yeah. So that so jobs are basically just from. Either auditions that somebody remembers. Oh yeah, we have this. We, we remember. We we used them on this other gig. They'll ask me to submit something, and then I'll either submit something that I already have that that matches whatever their request is, or I'll re-record something just because I have. If I have time and energy and think it's an interesting project, I'll re-record something in that style so that they can go. Oh wow, that's right. I, he does that style too. So you know, everything is an audition, but. Every audition is just from somebody who remembers that I tried to take it into the end zone the last time they worked with me. Yeah, yeah. We operate or under somebody a... in the room is, is saying that is saying that to somebody else. Oh, remember that dude Jason did this gig for us for that mm-hmm. video game. Remember he killed it. Yeah. Now we're doing some movie pitch, and somebody is the is you know it could be a random scene in the middle of something totally unrelated. Yeah. Um, of course, Enrique Iglesias was through one of his uh, writers. Um, Michael Jackson was through a, a musical director who I knew because of somebody in my gospel choir. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's we we operate under a very similar mindset. You never know who's listening. That's always my mantra. Um, in a yep. po- in a podcast that's available to anyone who wants to press the button. You just have to operate That's under it. the premise that you never know who's listening. And it's it's one email away from we'll be on some major network tomorrow. You just never know. You just make the content to the best of your ability. And it's like the Field of Dreams thing. If you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. You put yourself out there as yep. it and people will recognize you yep. as it. So now, now I'll skip to it because you mentioned his name, you know, the king of pop. Perhaps the creme de la creme on all of this. You got to rap on stage for Michael Jackson during his 30th year anniversary celebration uh, during Black and White, which by itself is an unbelievable track. Now, I'm sure you've told this story a million times, but I'm going to ask you to make it a million and one. How in the hell did the stars align for that to happen? I know you kind of mentioned it earlier. Uh, you, you knew somebody um, through your choir, but if you could just kind of elaborate a little bit. I had done... Two years of Jingle Ball at Madison Square Garden with this band, the musical director of which I, I knew through somebody in my gospel choir. Uh, and that band performed for all of the radio up-and-coming stars that were going to perform at Madison Square Garden to promote their new singles. And they just needed the band to play for each artist so that each artist didn't have to bring their own band. Um, and such incredible artists came through that... Uh, that band was basically transferred over to Michael Jackson's band when he did his gig. It was produced by the same people. So uh, that band was tasked with performing not only for all of the artists it had in the in the prior Jingle Balls, but now would perform for all of the artists in the Michael Jackson show. All of the 
people that performed for Michael in the first act, the Jackson Five in the second act, and then all of Michael's greatest hits in the third act. Um, the the spectacle was bigger than any other production event I've ever been involved with. I think that most people, besides the Super Bowl uh, productions, but this was a little different because they had more time to cover than just the 15-minute Super Bowl halftime. However, they had as many people as they had in every Super Bowl halftime in and out of this one venue for this one show. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those components had to work together from each guest artist on each song to each dance group that would come out for each song to each choir that would enter and exit for each song. And we were the people that stayed throughout all of it and sung all of it. And so whenever there was a need for anything that uh, wasn't accounted for, uh, we were the first people to to go for it. I Mike checked the the house mics for Ricky Martin, for Mark Anthony, for Ray Charles. I even sang, Georgia, Georgia, oh, they sued. You said, oh, sweet show, me, Georgia, oh, my, my, yeah. That's awesome. Because Ray Charles was not there. So it was just this wonderful place where I could just be serving whatever the environment needed. Yeah. Creatively, oh, you need some backgrounds over. You need we need somebody to, to sing to check this mic. Sound just like Ray Charles. That was fun for me to do. We need somebody to do the rap for Black and White. Oh, absolutely, I got it right here. So I was asked to do that because they didn't have anybody else to do it. They weren't planning on having a celebrity do it, and uh, they didn't have. It was just one of those things. They didn't think that they needed all of the bells and whistles. But for some reason, they didn't actually have me visually represented. I was still in my background area that wasn't brought into the visual uh, production part of it. So I wasn't seen. I was just heard. Although everybody that was there at the event, well, if you, if you were on that side of the stage, you could see me. But uh, if you weren't on that side of the stage and you didn't know, you wouldn't know. You would have just heard. Just like Pokemon. It's not going to be mentioned down in the bottom of the program that I did the black and white rap all the way down in the bottom. They're not listing those things in the program. So there's no way to know. And I still think even today, there's probably uh, most of the places that that song is released, there's no mention of my name. So it's, once again, just serving the project, serving the, the end zone. We're going into the end zone, and, you know, that's it. I'm not looking back. I'm not here to points in the future yeah um you know those, those points come back yeah in other ways and I, I look at the pantheon of media you've done movies television uh you've done uh soaps you've kind yeah you did you had a part in i think another world i think it's called 36 seasons something like crazy yeah, like I, I had a couple of soaps when i was in uh in my teens, yeah, when I was, you know, you you've even co-written some musicals, and it's it's nuts to think about how you've ingratiated yourself into all this type of media. But something that I found really really uh, interesting when I was looking through all of the roles you've had, you got to play Pesci, you got to play Pesci in Scorsese and American Crime Drama. Uh, first and foremost, what's your favorite Pesci role or movie? Oh Jesus, you can't ask me to do the Pesci thing right now. I don't know what the fuck Pesci. You don't know what the fuck is good. 
Oh my god, I, I love it. Awesome. I love it. What was it like to play Pesci uh, on stage? It was pretty incredible. That that company for the record that does these incredible theatrical experiences uh, is a group of people that I've been performing with since 2010, since they started uh, doing live experiences in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Um, And the first thing that happened in the first show that I did with them back in the day was I just come out on stage, I jump down into the front row, I take somebody's drink, drink their drink, and sit on somebody's lap while singing the first song of, you know, breaking the mold right away. And, um, for the record has broken the mold on this theatrical experiences in Los Angeles. And the highlight of it for me was definitely the Pesci performances at the Wallace, which is one of the best theaters in Los Angeles as well. This, this place is massive. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, 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 Joe Pesci is a—he's pretty easy. It's an easy guy to do. What's hard? What's what's funny? I tell you, what's funny? What's funny is trying to make this fucking guy who's such a fucking asshole. <laughs> just somebody that everybody loves. Everybody loves to fucking hate this guy. It's unbelievable. <laughs> they're like they're like you're like it's somehow it's okay to be violent and killing people and. <laughs> shooting people and that's okay everybody likes it this is, this is like a, we cheer for this this horrible evil villain guy yeah you're right it's that's really so weird it's it really is. weird it's so the, I, don't, I don't know why it's and the, it's because it, it, so at this show i would be walking around and just hugging everybody just being so nice and loved and warmly lovingly accepted by everybody there was such a like you know i felt like this loving character and then i would go up on stage and yeah, I think it's like the it's the Breaking Bad, it's the Ozark kind of mentality where if you write the antagonist well enough, they become the protagonist. And I think that's kind yeah. of Pesci in a lot of ways. Now, again, we want to be respectful of your time. We only have a few more questions for you here, but I I cannot skip over this because you know, you just mentioned um, a venue out in Los Angeles, and I can think of another one called the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, I personally am a rent head. Uh, I live in Philly, so I couldn't be at that Hollywood Bowl show about a decade ago, but I've watched it all through the wonders of YouTube. Uh, you got to share oh, the state. Oh, really? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you got to get monetized. You got to get monetized on that. Uh you got to share the stage with Wayne Brady, Vanessa Hudgens, so many other talented people. What do you remember most about being in rent at the Hollywood bowl? Wow. Uh, picnicking with my, my friends that were coming to see it. (laughs) That's cool. They have, they have a really cool picnic area, uh, that I hadn't been to in the, it's just a beautiful, incredible setting. So you get to, you get to have this experience not just be shuttled into some venue, but you feel like you're, you're seeing something in an organic environment, yeah. the backdrop of the mountains. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. I thought you were going to say stuck in traffic. Cause I hear some traffic for the Hollywood bowl is pretty bad. <laughs> um, but regarding the show, I, I, I was, I didn't have like, we didn't have a, 
we didn't have the experience I wanted to have mm. with the show. That's a shame. I had I had the experience of living the show mm-hmm. in a couple of different ways before doing the show. So when I was doing the show, it had a lot of expectations to live up to in my mind because I, I have a long redhead history as well. Um, I don't know if, if I have a, I've been shared in in, in uh, only, probably only a couple of interviews. But I, I was, the What's Up show was playing on, on Manhattan Public, Public Access when Rent was casting. And Jonathan Larson was a fan of the What's Up show. Oh, my God. And when I, when I, when I went in to be auditioning for this new musical, I was greeted by Jonathan and the people in the room. As oh my God, you're that guy from that show. We love that show. We watch that show all the time. Blah blah blah. The same kind of thing that I got when I walk into most rooms in New York because of that public access artery. So anyway, I was asked to do the show. Uh, actually, I, the audition process was quite interesting too because I sang one song, glory, one song before I go, which is basically a foreshadowing of the Pokemon theme song. What Roger talks about in that song is about what the Pokemon theme song actually is in reality. So I will be I will be recording one song, Glory, at some point. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Not, not not too far, but anyway, uh, I sang "I'll Cover You" with Jonathan oh in the in the auditions, and uh, and then I sang some Mark songs, and then I was offered the the one of the roles. Um, I did not take it. I had other things going on at the time. The What's Up show was going on at the time. Um, and I had another show that I did that was going on at the time. And uh, I went about my life. And rent happened. Jonathan lost his life in the the night before opening. Yeah. Uh, it became an incredibly emotionally impactful experience for people. He went to Broadway, and my agents were like, you see what you did? You turned down that show. See what you would have been? You would have been on Broadway with the show. And, the, and I was like, but it was not. It just wasn't appealing to me at the time, and and uh, my agents were mad at me. But so anyway, the, the next phase of my rent experience comes when my roommate gets the show that we are sort of not really fans of because we're basically living. We The What's Up show was Rent is the cartoon version of what was actually going on in the East Village. Mm-hmm. The East Village, the, the real version of what was going on in the East Village was documented on the What's Up show. As we were running around the East Village with our video camera in Tompkins Square Park where the squatters and the homeless people live, having all these people part of our show, at the same time Jason Page's band is playing at, at What's Up, is playing at Pyramid Club and CBGB's and the passes that are on the walls behind me in my What's Up show are the passes in, on the walls behind Roger and Mark in in Rent. So Rent actually is kind of a representation of the time that I was living and, and very specifically uh, I believe about my life because of the influences that I know the What's Up show had on creators like Jonathan. Yeah. Um, and those and those clubs and there were a lot of people doing what I was doing. It was really you know it wasn't an unusual thing for people to run around. But I was actually putting my stuff on public access in that project in that Mark way that was very specifically Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you see 
clips on the WhatsApp show, you, you, you'll, you'll identify that right away if you're a redhead. You'll be like, oh, my God, it's Mark. No, it's Roger. Whoa, what's going on? So then my roommate got the show, and he went and did the first national tour after it went on Broadway, won all kinds of awards, and my agents hated me. Although I, you know, I was perfectly content with it. So my roommate goes on tour, and he brings the Red community back to my apartment in New York City uh, to sort of be the best show I ever never, I never did. Mm-hmm. Like the people, the more I have more community from that show than I had from any other show that I actually did. Wow. So the community that, that came from that show that I didn't even do lasted my whole, you know, time in New York until I left. And then in 2010, I was asked to do it here by Neil Patrick Harris. Who's a, oh my uh, gosh. Kind of, who is, who is actually drop. a, a what's up show fan from oh, back in the day. That's awesome. He, he knows me first from from my public access cable TV days. That's for um, so that's so that's the full circle of, of me doing rent. Finally, getting to do the show here and it having to live up to all of my experience of rent and what it meant to me in my life and how it you know how it affected my life in such profound ways. And now I finally get to do it in 2010. Yeah, and and just the capstone the rent thing too. You have one of the most unique experiences on the planet that you are one of the only people that got to sing. I'll cover you with Jonathan Larson who wrote rent again, rest in peace. I mean, that is such a wonderful experience. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was really special. Now the last question and here you. before we hit rapid fire. Sure, sure. Now last note, the silver screen, no stranger to you. You've been involved in Jersey boys, the Muppets, even sausage party. Now, did we hear correctly that you found your way into Deadpool? Uh, Deadpool, I'm uh, man number two, and, and I think in the game. Oh, the, the game, Xbox 360. Somebody, Got it. Somebody ran up to me and was like, hey, hey, can you sign my Deadpool thing? And I was like, why? And they were like, look, you're man number two. <laughs> I, you know. That's crazy. I thought it was the movie. To 100 that I don't remember that I did. Because <laughs> Lots of gigs. That's insane. Oh. Yeah, we actually thought it was Deadpool movie. And, and, and real fast, I just had to say, I told Greg, I had to say this no matter what. I saw you do Jim Morrison. The Doors is my favorite band ever, and I thought you fucking nailed Morrison. Oh, on, on the on one of my satellites. Yeah, I I don't I I heard I was watching do a couple people, and I just thought you nailed him. Oh, excellent! Thank you, sir. No problem. Uh, now we have our final segment, which is our rapid fire segment, where we're going to throw questions out to you as fast as possible. You answer them as fast as you can with the first thing that comes to your mind. There's twelve of them. We'll go very quickly through them. Uh, and then we'll call it an interview. Does that sound good? All right, all right. Cool. So the first two questions are in the format of date, marry, dump. You have to date one, marry the other, and dump the third. Your choice. You ready? First one, Charmander, Squirtle, Bulbasaur. Date, marry, dump. Dump the Squirtle. (laughs) (laughs) Date the Charmander. Hey. And marry the Bulbasaur. I'll take that. That's fair. Now, there's Pikachu from the anime, a virtual Pikachu like in Pokemon Go, or Detective Pikachu? Dump the, the flat one. Marry the Detective Pikachu. Gotcha. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> Easy. All right, now we're just going to go back on to regular questions just as fast as possible. Uh, a jingle that you have done that you're very proud of, but it didn't gain as much traction as you or the brand had hoped. Pride is a deadly sin. <laughs> yeah, right. 
unless it was a jingle for a children's organization. If you could sing on stage with any artist in the world today, who would it be? It would be a suicide mission, but I would have to choose Stevie Wonder. Hey. Because I, I have to sing the Stevie Wonder before, before both of us can't sing anymore. So it has to happen before we be the both die and we both can't sing anymore. And then what after Stevie Wonder, there is nobody else. Yeah. So there would be no reason to really be alive at that <laughs> oh, point. Because <God. laughs> who, who else is there besides Stevie Wonder? Like, that we really, like, you know, after that, that's it. That's, that's why you save the best for last. That's fair. On a lighter note, what's a TV show that you're currently binging, if any? I have been trying to find one, and it has come to my attention that there is nothing good. On, oh, no. On... Is on the entire Netflix platform or the Amazon Prime platform that uh, that's worth listening to and watching the whole way through. Oh, did, oh, did, oh did, we could make some saying, recommendations. Did, did, did you give a chance to? I pe- mean, you can make some recommendations, but but you would think. So what I've been doing is I've been I've been going. This is impossible. Like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just go randomly through because if you you're choosing by subject matter, you're choosing by reviews. There's just no way to choose, so I'm just going to randomly choose, and I can't find anything. Everything is just another dumb, fucking, meaningless thing. Every now and then there's a documentary that I'm like, all right, well, this is kind of okay, but it's not really a subject matter that really matters. <laughs> and then I'll just be bored with a documentary about some dude who was wrongfully put in jail for too long or something stupid like that. I, uh, I would say I would not, say Ozark. It's on Netflix. It is so unbelievably gripping. I promise you it has meaning and you don't expect what's going to happen next. It doesn't play the typical television trope. It does a great job of of subverting your expectations but also delivering. It doesn't ever kind of let you down. It's a simple okay. watch. Ozark. Ozark. There we go. There we go. Okay. I what, mean, Hollywood billboards up and down the street just trying to blast them all at me and they're not, they're not getting through. Oh man. What, what about breaking bed? Breaking bad. Did you ever give it a shot? I watched a couple of episodes of it and yeah, it had a kind of a vibe. I, I could see that I, if I had more time at the time, I'll take it. I could prop, I could probably get into that. I'll try that. Yeah, it's a, this Ozark thing though. Yeah. Ozark's incredible. Breaking bad is like, doesn't even count. It's like, it's 10 years ago. Yeah. That's so, fair. Okay, what Peaky Blinders? It's on Netflix. I don't know if you ever watched that one. That's a good one. What's the last film you saw in theaters? Uh, this is crazy. It's been a very long time. Same. That's why Um, why we ask that question a lot because got to throw people. Not a lot of people go to the theater and it kind of makes them sit back and think, "Oh my gosh, I should should probably get to the theater." We'll come back to that one. Best thing about the nineties. Best thing about the nineties. Colors. Oh, I love that one. Because you're right. I mean, everything was the pants, the jazzer size, the pogs. The, yeah, like everything had insane color schemes. We look back now at the fashion choices that we wore as kids in the 90s, and I'm like, what were we, what were we doing? Every starter jacket was neon blue, and it was insane. Yeah. To be a kid in that era when you didn't have carte blanche over what you were wearing and your parents told you what to wear, yeah, that was a tough time. Yeah. To, to grow up in the 90s. what This one's random. This one's very, very random. And it sounds like I'm not yeah. asking it right, but I promise you I am. Think of a number in your head and sing it. 48. <laughs> <laughs> a product that you've done a jingle for that you still use religiously. 
You're speaking to the choir on that one, my friend. Uh, what is the largest crowd you've ever performed the Pokemon theme song for? Uh, I think it was probably about ten to 15,000 people in the in a hockey arena in Canada on the video games live tour. It's mm, awesome. It's blending my two favorite things, um, Pokemon and, and hockey. And Oh yeah. And there's probably way more venues out there that would, that would have me. <laughs> the weirdest thing you ever won a trophy or award for. I don't win many awards. I got the Broadway, <laughs> Broadwayworld.com awards. The only award I ever, I've, I've really ever gotten. I don't have any trophies. You deserve you deserve I'm, trophies, I'm, my friend. Well, I, I was thinking about it. Like, like uh, I, I don't have a degree. I don't have. I don't have. Actually, I, I, I was the MVP running back in eighth grade. There you go. That's exactly uh, what that, we're looking perfect. for. Nailed it. I don't know how weird that is, but oh, that's you know. exactly what we were looking for. You went from being the eighth grade running back to singing songs that eighth grade running backs listen to. Let's I guess so. I yeah. guess so. Let's that's call right. it. And, and here's. And here's our final question for the interview. We want you to change the band name. Normally, it's Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. Now, in your world, Jason Page, it is Frankie Valley and the tuneful harmonizations of Jason Page. <laughs> he turned it into a duet with him and Frankie. I love, I love that. it. I love that very, very much. You did a good job, Jason. Thank you so much for jumping through our rapid fire. And ladies and gentlemen, that was our very special bonus episode with Jason Page. One more time, Jason, where can folks find you on social media and YouTube? Ah, JasonPage.com, uh, my Jason Page YouTube channel, or uh, JasonPage at gmail.com for professional inquiries. Jason, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Uh, we will be back next week. Jason, if you can hang on the line for just one moment, we'll be back next week with episode 175. Pokemon! Okay,